electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Bill Gates, the computer genius and philanthropist on the coronavirus pandemic. We won't be totally back to normal until we basically eliminated this on a global basis, because even countries that had competent responses like South Korea, Australia, they still see, you know, infections coming back from time to time. Gates sits down with Becky Quick for a candid interview, touching on everything from pandemic responses around the world to COVID conspiracies. You know, two people are most targeted, and those are Dr. Fauci and myself. Have you talked to Dr. Fauci about it? Yeah, he and I, well, he and I don't talk about the conspiracy theories because, you know, neither he or I, you know, know how to stop that. You'll hear about the Gates Foundation's partnership with Eli Lilly and a timeline for the coronavirus vaccine. The sooner we deliver that somewhat bad news to people so they can get ready for what will be a tough fall, the better. I think several of the vaccines are likely to get approved by the first quarter. By summer, we ought to have dropped the numbers, both the deaths and the transmission a lot. Plus, the Microsoft co-founder on big tech breaking up. I was naive at Microsoft and didn't realize that our success would lead to government attention, and so I made some mistakes. It's Wednesday, October 14th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, one of the world's largest philanthropies, has committed $350 million to coronavirus response. As founder of Microsoft and one of the world's richest humans, Bill Gates has turned his attention, after his corporate life, to public health, and particularly vaccines and antiviral treatments for infectious disease, a unique skill set for 2020. Becky Quick last spoke to Gates in April, and at that time, a lot of attention was being paid to his predictive abilities. He'd been talking about the danger of a once-in-a-hundred-years bug for some time. But here with coronavirus, it's quite fatal and quite transmissible. So it's the nightmare that we've been talking about for a long time. So, six months later, how are we dealing with this nightmare? This interview was taped, and as all things are these days, from multiple locations. I am working from home, talking to the CNBC control room on the phone. Your house, is that where you are? Yes, I'm at home, watching on a tiny, tiny screen. Becky Quick is working from home. Hi, Bill. Hi. And Bill Gates joins us from Seattle via Skype. Bill, thank you very much for being with us. It's good to see you. Great to talk to you. 
You know, since uh, the last time we spoke, there have been a lot of experts who have sounded much more positive and optimistic about what, what we face with COVID, just uh, based on the development that we've seen. Are, are you in that camp, too? Well, the bad news is that the fall is going to be worse. That is, the death rate uh, will go up in most of the country. The good news is that these tools uh, that can help in a pretty big way the monoclonal antibodies and the vaccines are getting closer. And so, you know, in the first half of next year, we should have volume of both of those, assuming at least a few of these trials go well. But Eli Lilly just announced a little while ago that they're going to be putting on hold their antibody uh, trial that they're running right now because of safety concerns. It's, it's being done at the advice of an independent body. And I know that that's a company you've been working with at the Gates Foundation to try and make sure you can get doses of their antibody out to low and middle income countries. Yeah, Eli Lilly's been a fantastic partner. And so hopefully that trial hold, which is not uh, that surprising, those happen all the time, but hopefully that doesn't turn into something that holds back uh, a product which, if it's safe, uh, has the chance to reduce the death rate quite substantially. How, how does the partnership with the Gates Foundation work with, with Eli Lilly? How, how much supply can you get out? And, and this is, I think, something that's due by the spring of next year? Yeah, so we uh, last spring uh, put forward several hundred million to Fujifilm to reserve their factories uh, starting this month. And so uh, we weren't sure which antibody would look the most effective, particularly in a low dose, which is very important if you want the cost to be low and the capacity to be high. And as we worked with all the different antibody companies, we ended up picking Eli Lilly as our partner. And so that antibody's gone into the factory uh, we reserved, uh, and it takes, it'll be until March before we have substantial volume coming, coming out of that. In the meantime, Eli Lilly has offered up 100,000 doses once they get approval that will go to the low and middle income countries. And so we'll learn how to do the delivery as that factory capacity. We have ramps up, so we're very excited about that. We hope uh, that the safety, efficacy, all these things uh, get cleared because it, it could save uh, hundreds of thousands of lives. Yeah, we've, we've spoken with many experts, including Scott Gottlieb this week, who have pointed out that the limitations on what Regeneron and Eli Lilly will be able to do with their antivirals, anti, uh, uh, with their antibody cocktails, it, it really mean that they're probably going to be um, limited to some extent, that they'll have to be rationed. And, and there are a lot of questions about how you hand out the doses that you do have. What, what are you thinking on that? Because I know you spend a lot of time focusing on these issues. Well, the capacity will depend somewhat on how big the dose is. Uh, Eli Lilly's doing a trial of 0.7 grams, you know, which is less than a tenth of uh, uh, the eight grams that uh, Regeneron uh, is sometimes using. We're looking at even going down below 0.7 grams and instead of an infusion, having a one-time shot. Basically, if you catch somebody early uh, where their oxygen's uh, starting to go down and they've tested positive, uh, you give them the antibodies earlier, and so the virus doesn't ever get uh, to high, high levels. Uh, and in the early data, that looked very promising. Right, but that comes back to the limitations. How, how do you decide who to give it to if you have limited supplies, and it's most effective when you give it to people early? It's not like you can go around and find the sickest people and say, okay, you get it. Um, it's less effective there. 
Right. So this would be based on uh, who's most likely uh, to get very sick or die. And so you'd uh, have comorbidity and age be a primary criteria. And you'd be, uh, depending on the volume you have available, that's how you'd restrict it is uh, that the ones at the highest risk would get this early stage treatment. That brings up some of the issues with vaccines, and we've spoken with you about this in the past. Uh, vaccines aren't being tested very much on older populations, and they're not really being tested at all at children at this point. And I, I just wonder what the timeline is that you're thinking about right now before we can really get back to life as normal. Well, all of the phase three trials have a specific uh, tracking of getting elderly people into the trial, which has gone very well, and of looking at the primary endpoint of uh, how you improve the health and what kind of antibodies you have in those older people. That is a very positive thing. The antibody levels look very promising. Some vaccines do not work well in older people. Some vaccines do work well. And these constructs right now, the data that on that is quite positive, which is, is super important. The vaccine also has a chance of stopping you from transmitting to other people. Uh, so it's different than a therapeutic in that it can uh, uh, drop transmission as well. And so every vaccine will have, uh, other than safety, two criteria. How much does it prevent sickness and how much does it prevent transmission? So what do you think in terms of a timeline? Are we looking at life getting back to normal by next spring, next summer, next fall? What, what's your best day to tell you? Well, the rest of this year will not be normal. And, you know, the sooner we deliver that somewhat bad news to people so they can get ready uh, for what will be a tough fall, the better. The, as you go into next year, uh, we should start to see these tools be available in volume. I think several of the vaccines are likely to get approved by the first quarter. Uh, and there is manufacturing going on in parallel. So uh, they'll get out there fairly quickly. Uh, so things could be slightly better in the first half. By summer, we ought to have dropped the numbers, both the deaths and the transmission a lot. Uh, we won't be totally back to normal until we basically eliminated this on a global basis, because uh, even countries that have uh, competent responses, like South Korea, Australia, uh, they still see, you know, infections coming back from time to time. And so they're having to maintain uh, some unnatural measures and not have as many public gatherings uh, as we had before the pandemic hit. So really two milestones. One is when we get a lot of Americans vaccinated, which can be uh, by next summer. And the second is when we really address globally uh, the case transmission and bring it down to very small numbers. You just mentioned countries that have competent responses. Is, is that in opposition to what you think our response has been? Well, our response in most respects has not been uh, very good, uh, and we would have expected it to be good. So, you know, certainly in the testing uh, and the clear message and, you know, understanding safe practices in a strong way, uh, we rank quite low compared to other countries. You think we're better prepared at this point if we are looking at a, a very difficult fall and winter? No, the um, willingness to admit that we've done certain things wrong and have a clear federal message, uh, there's still an opportunity for that, but there's no signs of it. You know, we get 
Most of the testing results come back way later than they should. Uh, other countries uh, don't don't do it that way. Uh, you know, that's still kind of mind blowing to me. Uh, you know, we need to be willing to say, okay, what's working, what's not working, and prioritize which activities uh, are valuable, like school, versus others that uh, cause even more infection, like certain public gatherings that are, are not. Uh, but it's sort of every state for themselves. Without the CDC being allowed to have the strong voice uh, that they've, been, they're being, they've been trained to provide. And now we have the, you know, the government's top scientist is under attack. What do you think needs to be done about that? What, how does it get fixed? And I ask because, you know, you're, you're somebody who's always been pretty apolitical. You, you have to work with governments at the foundation. You have to work with governments of all stripes. You are a little more outspoken this time. Why, why is that? What are you seeing? Well, the area the Gates Foundation is, is very expert in is infectious disease, including these respiratory diseases. And that's why with our depth of involvement in that, speaking out over five years ago about the preparedness that was important, uh, you know, we felt that was worth speaking up. And so, you know, I can talk through for most countries in the world what the quality of their response has been, whether they're, you know, bad governments in other respects or not. Uh, the expertise have seen, okay, what have they done with testing and mask wearing and uh, contact tracing, it's quite uh, uh, surprising. You know, some have done very, very well, and and some have done poorly. So that's a purely technical thing, not a, a political thing. Uh, most governments take advantage of their scientists and listen to them. Uh, they don't they don't undermine them and attack them. Have you been surprised at the amount of pushback there's been just from the American people in terms of doing something simple like wearing a mask? Well, again, that speaks to, you know, what are the leaders saying? Uh, you know, we have to admit that the scientific community in the early stage of the infection, uh, we thought uh, this was about coughing. We didn't know the simple masks would provide so much benefit. Uh, so it wasn't as you got into uh, April that we started to really develop that evidence and very clear message uh, starting in May. So I am surprised since that time, uh, you know, given that, you know, we tell people to wear clothes, I don't think of it as some ultra important uh, freedom thing uh, that, you know, there's another part of your body, at least for the duration of the pandemic, we're asking you to, to, to cover up most of the time. And so mass compliance in the United States is, is quite poor, and yet the cost of the mask and the you know, productivity loss from the mask, it's, it's uh, quite an intervention. Um, and really, a, other than our social behavior, the primary tool we have until these therapeutics or vaccines get out there in, in big numbers. Do you hear people, I mean, I mean I've been shocked at the blowback I've seen uh, directed at you over vaccines for this stuff, but for the masks too. How frustrating is that to you? Well, the whole digital media space where people are dealing with the bad news of the pandemic um, has spun up a lot of conspiracy theories. Uh, and the you know two people who are most targeted on those are Dr. Fauci and myself in terms of, you know, do we have some malign reason to think vaccines 
uh, are important in general. And, you know, that's unfortunate, particularly if it undermines the mask wearing or if it undermines as the vaccine gets approved, are we able to have people uh, not only protect themselves, but protect their loved ones, protect the community uh, by participating in uh, something that's been proven to be safe? Yeah. Have you talked to Dr. Fauci about it? Yeah, he and I, well, he and I don't talk about the conspiracy theories because, uh, you know, neither he or I, uh, you know, have, have, you know, know how to stop that. He and I talk about the antibody studies, you know, the scientific team at the foundation gets on the phone with him on a regular basis. And because he's seen company innovations that we're not, we're seeing things he's not because we have a global view, very, you know, uh, rich dialogue with the private companies on a regular basis. And so, you know, we're saying, okay, let's, how do we get antibodies going faster? Or what are we thinking about the different vaccines? Uh, so it's a, you know, helpful collaboration, which we've always had, you know, he's an infectious disease expert. Those used to be very obscure. You know, people <laughs> didn't talk about malaria and TB, but, you know, Tony and I, we love talking about that. <laughs> Bill, you have seen so many of the pharmaceutical companies, worked with so many of them. And in the past, a lot of the pharma companies, especially big pharma companies, have gotten a bad rap for being the guys who are going to charge skyrocketing prices for drugs. What what do you think about the collaboration you've seen between some of these big pharmaceutical companies and small pharmaceutical companies just dealing with COVID? Yeah, although the pricing issues around medicines are very complex, in the case of the pandemic and for many other diseases, the one positive thing is this innovation, including running very complex, expensive trials. And so I've personally been quite impressed that the pharmaceutical companies are doing very novel things, you know, putting their best people on this work, and they're being willing to have uh, manufacture other companies' products. So like the vaccines, we have deals uh, with uh, companies in India that will make the vaccines coming from these companies. Likewise, with the antibodies, almost all of the antibodies not only have their own companies' factories, but other companies' factories that uh, are pitching in to get that volume up very quickly. And so, thank goodness for the pharmaceutical industry and the you know depth of knowledge, uh, which historically has been supported by you know government funding research, and in this case, uh, a lot of the money uh, for the vaccine work comes from the U.S. government. That's the one category uh, that the U.S. has done the best job, a a very important job, is that uh, over $10 billion of of funding. At the Gates Foundation, you've pledged $350 million to to go towards the coronavirus um, attack plan and and relief plan. What have you learned from all those investments? What's been the most interesting, surprising thing you've taken out of it so far? Well, on the therapeutic side, there's been a lot of dead ends. Uh, We funded a U.K. study uh, that proved out dexamethasone, uh, which is quite valuable. And we're working with Gilead on remdesivir to uh, change the formulation so it's cheaper to make. You can make it at, at larger scale. Uh, but, you know, we funded a lot of things to look at libraries of drugs, uh, and those libraries just weren't big enough. We're also funding a lot of vaccine work, including some second-generation vaccines that could be even more effective, could be single dose. Uh, you know, so we want to make sure we've got an entire portfolio. Uh, but these second source agreements are very novel and show you know, the flexibility 
uh, that the pharma companies are bringing to this. And, you know, the fact we can get on the phone with the top people on every subject uh, and get them collaborating, uh, it, it's been wonderful to see. You know, just uh, looking through the changes that COVID has kind of pushed on places everywhere, including at Microsoft, um, so many workers who are working at home and some who are choosing to move. Microsoft and other companies have said that they're going to lower people's salaries just based on the standard of living if they move to cheaper places. And I've been trying to figure that out. It seems like it'd be a fair trade. But I wonder, the longer we get into this, if you think more and more of those jobs will eventually be outsourced if it doesn't matter where you work. No, there's... The kind of uh, long-term relationship you want, and, uh, you know, guaranteed, you know, learning over time. You you don't want to outsource those jobs. Uh, you, those it's critical that they're employees, whether you see them on a screen or, or face to face. How much companies are going to say, okay, you only have to come into the office half the time or twenty percent of the time, and then maybe even sharing out their office space with other companies? You know that means you can live further away. Uh, it takes the cost of real estate, commute times. A lot of things could be changed. But I think it'll take a few years after the end of the pandemic to see how many of these behaviors are broadly changed. Less business travel, employees uh, not in the office uh, during that full work week. I think it'll be fairly radical, but uh, I, I don't know for sure. I'm sure you've been following the news on Washington targeting the big tech companies and looking to potentially break them up, definitely regulate them more. I wonder if that gives you flashbacks as to your own time running Microsoft. And, and I just, yeah. <laughs> what advice would you give these CEOs who are dealing with this right now? Well, I think whenever you get to be a super valuable company, you know, affecting the way people communicate and even you know, political discourse being mediated through your system and, you know, higher percentage of commerce uh, uh, through your system, you go, you're going to expect a lot of government attention. I was naive at Microsoft and didn't realize uh, that our success would lead to government attention. And so I, you know, I made some mistakes, uh, you know, just saying, hey, I never go to Washington, D.C. Uh, and now I don't think, you know, that naivety is there. These companies have uh, lots of uh, sophisticated advisors and they've tried to engage in various ways. But there's going to be, you know, the rules will change somewhat. It is kind of poignant that the tech companies have done so well at a time when, uh, you know, things are very tough. And so uh, that's a, an element of the increased attention. You think additional regulation could be good? Or let's say for, for America, for consumers overall, or you think it runs the risk of, of, of cutting down on innovation? It'll really depend on what they come up with. Uh, you know, and, and we have to get to particulars. Uh, you know, are, is there some rule about acquisition? Is there some rule about splitting parts of the, the companies either uh, to create open availability of uh, those resources? It, it's... We're in, we're in uncharted territory here. A lot of industries, like the railroad industry or the movie industry, they created special policies that they thought were effective for competition. But this is a new industry with, uh, with different issues. And so to get it right uh, will take uh, a, lot of, a lot of good thinking. Uh, but, you know, I'd say the chances of them doing something uh, is, is pretty high. And you always have 
uh, Europe as well as the United States, often Europe being uh, even more regulatory. And finally, just as an investor, I wonder what you think about the markets right now, where the tech stocks are, where interest rates are. What, what, as a curious thinker, what catches the most of your attention when you start thinking about the markets? Well, the microeconomic situation is kind of mind-blowing and unprecedented. The uh, you know TIP, the Treasury Inflation Protected Security, uh, you know sells at like negative one percent, and so. You know, the market's telling us that returns going forward are going to be uh, very low, real returns, which is, is what really matters. So, you know, the relative value of stocks versus bonds, if you can pick the right things, is pretty strong today. But even there, uh, you'd have to think pretty carefully because the way that the future earnings have been priced is very, very high. You know, Warren and Buffett and I talked pretty regularly because uh, it's such an unusual situation. Bill, I want to thank you for your time. We really appreciate it, and we hope to see you again soon. Great to talk to you. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening to this special conversation with Bill Gates. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod, available for free wherever you get your podcasts. Tweet us anytime at Squawk CNBC, and we'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.